Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Two Minute Drill Podcast, a show where I dedicate two minutes or less to every single team in the NFL. I am your host, Michael Homan. Get ready for my game recaps to relive the greatness that was week two in the NFL and get a feel for any games you might have missed. I'll also hit you with injury updates. Of course, there will be a bit of pre-game breakdowns for the week three slate of games as well. My personal picks for those betting lines, as well as at least one guy in fantasy per team that I would look for to do well or at least be a talking point in the upcoming matchup. This is the third edition of this Two Minute Drill podcast. There is also a limitless edition of the podcast that will be released a day or two later that features myself as a host, but I bring along Jake McClanahan, Matthew Shetler, and Tyler Cordell to discuss their personal opinions on the betting lines as well as fantasy key matchups to look for in the upcoming slate of games. So definitely tune into that as well. Much more of a fun conversational podcast as opposed to this one, which is going to do a serious debrief of week two, a serious look ahead to week three in terms of how each team might be able to pull out a win, as well as, again, just my personal picks on the betting lines and fantasy options. And as always, we are going to go in order of the game. So let's jump straight into Thursday night football of week three, starting with the Carolina Panthers. For a week two game breakdown, the Panthers looked good right from the jump. Sam Darnold hit big throws to Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, and Brandon Zilstra to jump to a 7-0 lead on the opening drive. The Panthers' defense tagged along with Hassan Reddick sacking Jameis Winston early. Darnold was not perfect early, however, and really should have been picked off with some of the throws that were made into traffic. DJ Moore catching a touchdown bringing the lead to 17 was a great sight to see. An interesting stat to note for future reference is that DJ Moore exclusively scored touchdowns going against the NFC South, doing so in five consecutive games against the division, but scoring none against non-division rivals dating back to last year. Christian McCaffrey went out of the game for a little while with an injury, but was still the most productive player on the field for either team despite the missed time. Darnold at times rushed himself under pressure and looked like he was just keeping the Saints hopes alive instead of the Panthers when he made mistakes like shovel passing to the wrong team. Once Christian McCaffrey came back in the game, he put some Saints defenders on his back during an 11-yard rushing touchdown. That and the Jameis Winston interception that followed pretty much iced the game in favor of the Panthers. A key injury for the Panthers is guard Pat Elfline, whose hamstring is injured and has been ruled out for Thursday's matchup against the Texans. Looking ahead to that matchup, the Panthers' pass rush has already gotten home on 10 sacks through two games, setting up their secondary for multiple interceptions as well. So look for them to make Davis Mills uncomfortable and make mistakes. Darnold will just need to be a game manager when he decides to pass. Other than that, just let CMC do his thing. To avoid picking the same players every week, I'll go ahead and say that for a deep flex, you could throw in Robbie Anderson. Moving on to the Texans week two game breakdown. Houston put a sack on Baker early to snuff out the opening drive, but then muffed the punt, allowing the Browns to keep the ball. 
Once Houston did get the ball, Nico Collins' rookie receiver looked good for the Texans as he made gashing plays against the Browns' secondary with big yards after the catch. Justin Reed was the star on defense, causing back-to-back turnovers, which Tyrod Taylor was able to turn into one touchdown in those extra possessions. Tyrod Taylor ended up with a hamstring injury during the game, and third-round draft pick Davis Mills had to fill in and threw an interception pretty quickly. Not all was bad for Mills, however, as he later threw his first NFL touchdown to Brandon Cooks. Houston's offensive line let Mills get drilled with a sack fumble while trying to mount a comeback. The fumble was recovered by Houston, but they still just went on to miss a field goal and end the game with a loss. Key injuries to look out for is Danny Amendola. The wide receiver is currently listed as doubtful with a thigh injury. Nico Collins, another wide receiver, was placed on injured reserve, as was Tyrod Taylor with a hamstring injury. Looking at week three keys for the Houston Texans to be able to pull off a win, Davis Mills will need to do his best to match the accuracy of Tyrod Taylor, who went 10 of 11 before getting hurt in comparison to Mills, who went 8 of 18 the rest of the way. Short passes with big yards after the catch and establishing the run game will be key to taking the pressure off of Mills. The Texans' defense has to plan for one man and one man only, and that's Christian McCaffrey. If anyone else beats them, so be it. Fantasy-wise, Brandon Cooks is the only person I could tell you in good faith to start on the Houston Texans, but if someone forced me to take a shot in the dark, I guess I'd go David Johnson. The betting line on Thursday Night Football is Carolina minus eight. Houston is covered in back-to-back weeks, but I don't expect that to continue without Tyrod Taylor. Moving on to the Colts Week 2 game breakdown, the Colts orchestrated an opening drive that got them all the way down to the one-yard line, but the Rams' defense made a goal-line stand, including a sack on Wentz, when they decided to go for it on fourth and goal, ensuring they walked away with zero points. The most impressive throw and catch of the day came early for Wentz, with Aaron Donald in his face, Wentz dropped a perfect deep ball to Michael Pittman in double coverage, but that drive eventually fizzled out, with the Colts settling for a field goal. The defense picked off Matt Stafford, then Carson Wentz, not to be outdone, drove his team down to the red zone before throwing a pick of his own on a routine shovel pass, which the Rams would later turn into three points. The Wentz and Pittman connection looked good, but apparently not as strong as with Zach Pascal, who followed up last week's performance with getting another receiving touchdown in this game. The Colts special team scored a touchdown and gave the Colts the lead thanks to the Rams long snapper not getting the ball to the punter, but Stafford in the Rams quickly recovered their lead. Key injuries like Carson Wentz going down and filled in by Jacob Easton proved costly as their only shot at a comeback was vanquished by Jalen Ramsey picking off Easton with only 2 minutes 13 seconds remaining with the Rams up by 3. Key injuries to look out for next week. Carson Wentz is listed as questionable, recovering from sprains to both ankles. Braden Smith, Xavier Rhodes, and Paris Campbell are all listed as questionable. Looking at Week 3's matchup against the Titans, the Colts could win first and foremost by Wentz's ability to play and stay healthy enough to finish out the game. Then it will be about stopping Derrick Henry as the number one priority on defense. Lastly, they will need to expose the Titans' secondary more than the Colts' secondary gets exposed. Fantasy-wise, I have yet to highlight Zach Pascal, and he seems to have a nose for the end zone, hauling in three touchdowns through two games. <laughs> 
Moving on to the Titans week two game breakdown. Left tackle Taylor Lewan injured his right knee during pregame warmups and was out for the Titans Seahawks game. Early on, AJ Brown had a huge drop wide open on a deep pass from Tannehill and Henry wasn't making much progress on the ground. But Julio Jones finally got involved in the Tennessee offense with multiple grabs early, equaling to more yards than all of his production during game one. Tennessee's pass rush did a good job collapsing the pocket and sacking Russell Wilson, giving him no time to break free. Ryan Tannehill was taking sacks as well, but some included fumbles that led to Seahawks touchdowns. King Henry got his legs underneath him in the second half with several big runs and multiple touchdowns. Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill manufactured a drive to tie the game with just 29 seconds remaining, and in overtime they received the ball first, but weren't able to do anything with it. Once Seattle had the ball, the Titans looked like they had a walk-off safety, but the refs gave Russell Wilson forward progress out of the end zone, so instead the Titans had to win on a field goal in overtime. Key injuries to look out for moving forward, Jayon Brown, Caleb Farley, Anthony Ferksker, Taylor Lewan, and Roger Safford III are all listed as questionable currently. Now, how can the Titans beat the Colts in Week 3? Well, Derrick Henry getting 20-plus carries will wear down the Colts' defense. A.J. Brown needs to have less drops. They need to keep Ryan Tannehill upright. He's already been sacked nine times this season. Then they gotta stop the bleeding through the air. The Titans have already given up 632 passing yards through two games. Fantasy-wise, Julio Jones looks like he has his feet underneath him now as a Titan, and I expect him to keep his feet in the end zone this week. The betting line is Indianapolis minus five and a half. Part of me is expecting Wentz to sit this one out, and the other part of me just thinks that even if he does play, he won't do anything special. Indianapolis minus five and a half. Moving on to the Chargers week two game breakdown after letting the Dallas Cowboys march down the field on their opening drive for a score. The Chargers look to match between Eckler running well and Keenan Allen grabs, but ultimately the Chargers opening drive came to a screeching halt when Trayvon Diggs snagged an interception off of Herbert. Dak Prescott quickly returned the favor, and Asante Samuel made his first career NFL interception, which ended up getting the Chargers three points later down the road. Herbert and Mike Williams drove down the field for a touchdown, and with the two-point conversion from Austin Eckler, they brought the game back within three. Chargers kept leaving points off the board with bouncing a field goal off the upright before half and after the half Herbert had a touchdown wiped off the board thanks to a holding penalty and later he wiped any chance of points off the board by throwing a pick in the end zone. The Chargers defense kept them hanging around by consistently sacking Dak Prescott on third down and Herbert had a second touchdown taken away due to an illegal shift penalty and this time had to settle for a field goal which proved to not be enough to come out on top. Key injuries moving forward. Justin Jones and Chris Harris Jr. both are listed as questionable, and Brian Balaga has officially been put on IR. Moving on to how the Chargers could beat the Chiefs in week three, the formula is cemented in terms of how to beat the Chiefs. There is only one way, and that is a shootout. Mahomes almost never loses in the regular season, but when he does, the opposition averages 36 points. The Chargers need to minimize penalties. It's hard enough to beat the Chiefs without self-sabotage, and then they gotta pick either Hill or Kelsey to eliminate from the Chiefs' offensive game script and force Mahomes to find new ways to move the ball. Fantasy-wise, I have yet to highlight Keenan Allen, so I'm just gonna take that as a chalk pick this week. 
Switching gears over to the Chiefs week two game breakdown. Tyron Matthew actually kicked off scoring for the Chiefs with a pick six early in the first quarter. Once Mahomes finally stepped on the field, the score was already 7-7 and he led a perfect drive going 5 for 5 throwing and the drive ended with a touchdown. Matthew got another pick in the first quarter and in the second quarter it was pretty much all about both sides of the defense until the Ravens tied the game up late in the half. And as a rebuttal, Mahomes took a drive down for a touchdown largely with his third and fourth reads on plays instead of Tyree Kill or Travis Kelsey. Pringle opened up scoring in the second half with a 40-yard touchdown catch and he was the ninth pass catcher to complete a ball from Mahomes during the night. After another Ravens score, it was Kelsey who had a long run after the catch, dodging tackles and found himself in the end zone. Later on, Mahomes, instead of eating a sack, threw up a prayer that wound up being his first interception this season and also the first interception that he has ever thrown in his career during the month of September. Late in the fourth quarter, Kansas City had an opportunity to drive the field and kick a walk-off field goal, but instead, CEH had his first fumble of his career, which handed the one-point win to the Ravens. So looking ahead to how the Chiefs can end up beating the Chargers in week three, first they need to eliminate the first reads on plays. Herbert has definitely impressed as a young quarterback, but he still is a young quarterback, and taking away someone like Keenan Allen would definitely handicap him. The Chiefs need to start utilizing CEH for what he was drafted to be, which was a pass-catching running back, and they also need to feature Hill and Kelsey predominantly. Those two are stars, and they need to get involved. Fantasy-wise, I have yet to feature Kelsey yet, and as far as the betting line is concerned, in their last 13 games, the Chiefs are now now 1-11-1 against the spread. So without even looking at the game, I would bet against the Chiefs. Considering the Chargers are getting 6.5 points, I think I'll be safe. Moving on to the Bengals' Week 2 game breakdown. The Bears and Bengals' defense went back and forth with drive-stopping big plays with Joe Burrow getting sacked four times before ever putting points on the board. T. Higgins got loose with the football, and he had a fumble that bounced right into Deshaun Gibson's hands for Chicago, which ultimately they turned into a field goal and raised the Bengals' deficit to seven. Joe Burrow got antsy to rebuttal and instead chucked a pick-six to Roquan Smith. This increased the deficit to 14. The next next two times he got the ball back, he immediately threw another interception, breaking his streak of 199 pass attempts without an interception in stunning back-to-back-to-back fashion. Burrow and Jamar Chase connected on a 42-yard touchdown pass late in the fourth quarter, and the Bengals picked off Justin Fields immediately afterwards, setting up Joe Burrow to complete a 14-point swing with a touchdown pass to T. Higgins. All this was too little too late, as Fields was able to do just enough offensively to keep the chains moving until the Bears could run out the clock, still up by three. Key injuries looking forward, Ricardo Allen, prior to that game, was moved to injure reserve. Xavier Suafilo, the guard, and Trey Waynes, the cornerback, are both listed currently as questionable. Now, how can the Bengals beat the Steelers in week three? Well, the O-line without question needs to protect Joe Burrow from the Steelers' front seven. Joe needs to shake off a multi-interception week and methodically work the field, making sharp precision passes and possession passes that keep the chains moving and the ball with the Bengals. The defense needs to get hits on Big Ben and show tight coverage with his receivers. The Steelers' offense hasn't looked special, and forcing Ben to throw into tight windows could lead to turnovers. Fantasy-wise, Tyler Boyd is going to have a productive game from the slot, since Burrow will likely need to get it out of his hands quickly, and Boyd can easily add a touchdown grab to his stat sheet 
with all his targets. Turning my attention to the Steelers' Week 2 game breakdown, Big Ben's first notable play of the game was heaving a punt of an interception when facing pressure, which set up the Raiders to get an early 3-0 lead. Najee Harris looks quick and strong, but because of the rest of the offense not necessarily exuding special, I'm starting to worry about his production outlook. Big Ben found Deontay Johnson for a big play down the field that set up an easy rushing touchdown for Juju Smith-Schuster. Chase Claypool and Najee Harris had some big chunk catches as well with Najee's going in for a touchdown. The most notable things in this game for the Steelers would be that the defense looks good, but I would be worried if TJ Watt's injury proves to be serious, and their offense largely struggled to move the ball, as the plays I highlighted were pretty much the only plays of note throughout the entire game. Deontay Johnson injured his knee getting tackled, trying to get out of bounds with the Steelers down by nine. Deontay going down caused a 10-second runoff and ended the game. Looking at the key injuries moving forward, Tyson Alualu was placed on injured reserve. Ben Roethlisberger is listed as questionable with a pectoral injury. Deontay Johnson questionable as well with that knee injury. And TJ Watt also listed as questionable with a groin injury, but does have a chance to play now. Now, how do the Steelers beat the Bengals in week three? Well, Najee is going to need to be productive while shouldering the load for the offense. The front seven is going to need to get Joe Burrow in the grass with or without the assistance of TJ Watt. And I'm not expecting Big Ben to necessarily have a prolific game passing, but I am expecting him to be efficient. For that reason, I will go ahead and highlight another slot receiver in this match as well, as I am expecting Juju Smith-Schuster to get a lot of touches and a lot of yards after the catch. For the betting line, I'm going... Uh, ahead and taking Cincinnati plus four and a half hoping the Steelers pass rush is slowed by injuries and Burrow outduels Big Ben. Moving on to the Ravens week two game breakdown with Lamar Jackson opening up Sunday night football on an opening drive that ended in a Tyron Matthew pick six putting the Ravens down 7-0 before Patrick Mahomes ever took the field. Luckily Williams and Freeman had some big runs to even things up with DuVernay scoring on a weird Tyson Williams fumble that landed in his hands bringing the score to 7-7 with less than five minutes ran off the game clock. After the Chiefs score Lamar looked to match by driving the ball all the way down the field thanks largely to the run game before Tyron Matthew picked him off a second time in the first quarter alone. Much of the second quarter was a battle of defensive stands with Latavius Murray getting into the end zone with 321 remaining to tie the game. But the defense couldn't stop the bleeding and Mahomes manufactured another touchdown before the half. In the second half, it was a scoring frenzy on both sides but the difference came down to turnovers with Mahomes throwing an interception and Lamar punishing him with two back-to-back -back rushing touchdowns to take their first lead of the game. And the Ravens were able to hold on to that lead after forcing Clyde Edwards-Alaire to fumble to ice the game for a Ravens win. Key injuries to look out for moving forward. Chris Westry was moved to IR. Then Deshaun Elliott, Brandon Williams, Dylan Hayes, Ronnie Stanley, Jimmy Smith, and Derek Wolf were all listed as questionable. Now, how will the Ravens beat the Lions in week three? Well, last week the Lions showed that they can hang tough if everything goes right. So the key early will be to knock Goff off his rhythm 
and even take an early lead. Lamar is capable of having a field day running the ball against the Lions, but I would rather see the new cast of running backs getting involved and taking those hits instead of Lamar. And lastly, the Lions secondary is an empty shell, so I'd expect big things from the Ravens passing game. For that reason, this week I'm going to highlight Marquise Hollywood Brown to show up big for fantasy. Turning my attention over to the Lions week two game breakdown. Jared Goff opened up Monday night football against the Packers with a perfect four for four and a touchdown pass to Quintez Cephas, who actually has a touchdown grab in three straight games now dating back to 2020. TJ Hawkinson continues to prove that he's building on his breakout with a touchdown. Goff culminated a really good first half for the Lions with a two minute drill field goal to get the lead going into halftime up by three. It was a tale of two halves for the Lions, where penalties were aplenty, defensive stops were nowhere to be found, and Jared Goff was no longer able to get things moving for the Lions offensively. Rainy weather started to affect the game when Goff botched a snap, giving the wet ball right back to Rodgers and company within striking distance, which allowed the Packers to build on their lead and really put the game away. An ugly second half for the Lions playing against Aaron Rodgers in primetime apparently is nothing new as they are now 0-5 and five against Rodgers in primetime games where they led at half. Injuries to keep an eye out on moving forward, Kevin Strong, Tyrell Williams, and Iafetu Milifonwu are all listed as questionable. Now, how could the Lions beat the Ravens in Week 3? Well, they need to stay on script and stay disciplined. The Lions looked great early, but after the scripted plays ran thin, they couldn't get anything going, and then they started beating themselves with penalties. Then they need to do the impossible and stop the Ravens' rushing attack, and they have to have their secondary play above their talent level and minimize the damage done through the air. Fantasy-wise, I would not start him with confidence, but I want to highlight Quintez Cephas for fantasy because, like I said before, he's scored touchdowns in three straight games dating back to last year, and if he does it again this week, he would actually tie Calvin Johnson's franchise record with four. As for the betting line, I'm going to go ahead and take Baltimore minus nine. I expect Back to this one, honestly, to be a boat race. Moving on to the Falcons' Week 2 game breakdown. The Falcons' defense showed signs of life early on with a sack on Tom Brady, causing him to fumble, but the Falcons' offense couldn't make them pay. Falcons went for it early on fourth down and failed a QB sneak that gave Tom Brady and the Bucks amazing field position, which ultimately gave a second touchdown to Gronk. Cordero Patterson was a bright spot on offense for the Falcons as he made a big play on a screen pass, then an 11-yard run for a touchdown. Kyle Pitts sparked as well a few times, which was good to see for a largely sputtering offense. After Matt Ryan gave another interception to the Bucks that led to another touchdown, Calvin Ridley tried to help Matt Ryan bounce back with his first touchdown of the season, then Cordero Patterson piled on with his second touchdown of the game, and with a two-point conversion by a diving Matt Ryan, the Falcons came back within three. Then, after Tom Brady scored his fifth touchdown, Matt Ryan found himself overcompensating and ended up throwing a pair of pick sixes to close out what turned out to be a blowout loss. Key injuries looking forward know that Frank Darby and AJ Terrell are both listed as questionable. As for how the Falcons can beat the Giants in week three, the Falcons defense needs to corral Daniel Jones into the pocket. So far this season, he has been more productive rushing than Saquon Barkley, and the team is not as lethal if they can take 
the Daniel Jones rushing threat away from them. Falcons secondary has been taken to the cleaners the past two weeks and they need to step it up. And Matt Ryan needs to rein in the interceptions and crank up the passing touchdowns as he only has two through two games. Fantasy-wise, the Falcons rookie tight end led them in receiving yards last week but still hasn't found the end zone. Look for Kyle Pitts to score his first NFL touchdown this week against the Giants. Now, turning my attention to the Giants' Week 2 game breakdown. The Giants' O-line actually opened up a hole or two for Saquon Barkley, who showed, for the first time in a long time, a little bit of burst. On a few occasions, Jones missed wide-open receivers badly, but ran like crazy in this game and would have had a second rushing touchdown if it weren't for a holding penalty. Kenny Galladay was targeted heavily, but looked like he had stone hands with all the drops. Late in the game, the Giants' defense did a great job of keeping everything in front of them and swarming to make quick tackles and forcing the Washington football team to settle for field goals. Despite Darius Slayton having a touchdown earlier in the game, he borrowed Kenny G's hands or something because he had an absolutely unforgivable drop, so once again, they had to settle for a field goal which became a theme for the Giants late in the game and ultimately cost them the game. The Giants have now started 0-2 for 8 of the last 9 years. Key injuries for the Giants, Shane Lemieux, guard, was placed on injured reserve, and Nick Gates, the center, fractured his lower leg badly during the Week 2 loss, and he's going to be out for quite some time. Evan Ingram and Cam Brown are also listed as questionable. Now, how can the Giants beat the Falcons in Week 3? Well, they need to get ahead and stay ahead. So far, the Falcons have proved incapable of coming from behind after falling into a hole early. They need to limit the number of penalties. The Giants truly beat themselves last week, and playing sound fundamental football will boost their odds of winning. Then they need to clean up the drop balls. There should be no excuses going up against the Falcons secondary. Fantasy-wise, I would highlight Sterling Shepard since I haven't yet, and I think he can absolutely roast the Falcons secondary. As far as the betting line is concerned, Atlanta Falcons are getting three, so I'm going to take them. This is a battle of the basement. With that being the case, I'll just take the team that's getting spotted the field goal. Moving on to the Bears week two game breakdown. Andy Dalton looked comfortable early on going up against his old team in the Bengals, orchestrating an opening drive that culminated with an Allen Robinson touchdown. Unfortunately, he went out early with a knee injury that turned out to be a bone bruise, and all of a sudden it was Justin Fields' time in Chicago. Defensively, the Bears' rushing attack was relentless early, getting home on Joe Burrow for four sacks before ever letting him score. Justin Fields, however, did not necessarily look great in his own right. Not able to manufacture much on offense, he got loose with the football, putting it on the floor once, but luckily recovered it himself. The Bears' secondary were absolutely fantastic, intercepting Joe Burrow on three straight throws. Justin Fields, however, struggled building on that lead despite all of Burrow's interceptions and threw one of his own, giving the Bengals the ball right back near the end zone, allowing them to keep the score close. However, in the end, he was able to do just enough offensively to securing the victory for the Bears. Key injuries moving forward, of course, there's Andy Dalton, who is listed as questionable and unlikely 
to start Sunday's game against the Browns. Eddie Goldman, the defensive tackle, is also listed as questionable. And Larry Borom, the offensive tackle, prior to last week's game, was placed on injured reserve. Now, how can the Bears come up with a win against the Browns in Week 3? Well, with a Browns team whose receiving core is banged up and honestly... So is their quarterback. The primary focus for the Bears defensively has to be stopping the running back tandem of Chubb and Hunt. If Justin Fields does start, his receivers need to help him out by not dropping passes. Between David Montgomery and potentially Justin Fields, they will need to establish a run and take the pressure off the pack. Fantasy-wise, I need to highlight Justin Fields. He is likely already rostered in your league, but if not, go get him. Having a mobile quarterback is such an advantage in fantasy. Switching my attention to the Browns' Week 2 game breakdown. Special teams had an impact early in this game with the Texans' muffed punt recovered by the Browns, who later capitalized with a touchdown from fullback Andy Janovich. Donovan Peoples-Jones put the ball in the grass after a big hit by Justin Reed and was recovered by Houston. But the Browns' defense did their job as well and prevented the Texans from turning that into points. However, Baker threw the ball right back to Justin Reed on the next drive while ticking a hit as he threw. That gave him a limp arm for a minute. Coming out of the half, Demetric Fenton had an outstanding catch and run for the Browns to take the lead, which was piled on too quickly with a field goal thanks to a quick interception by Mills filling in for the injured Tyrod Taylor. My biggest takeaway watching this game is Nick Chubb personifies consistency and excellence running the ball and he got himself a touchdown that capped off the scoring for the day. Key injuries of note, Anthony Walker was placed on IR before last week's game. Baker Mayfield is listed as questionable with a shoulder subluxation. Odell Beckham Jr. is still questionable, but likely to make a return to the field in week three. Chris Hubbard is questionable, and Jarvis Landry was placed on the injured reserve thanks to his knee injury. Now, how can the Browns beat the Bears in Week 3? Well, the Browns' pass rush needs to hurry Justin Fields into making bad throws and limit the number of times he is allowed to escape from the pocket. Chubb and Hunt need to shoulder load because the receiving options might be spotty. And if OBJ does play, then he needs to make an impact on this game. He can't just roll out there and look pedestrian. Fantasy-wise, I'll go ahead and highlight Odell Beckham Jr. here because if he starts, the Browns are going to lean on him. As for the betting line, Chicago plus 7 seems to be the side I'll take. The Browns couldn't cover the spread against the Texans, and I don't expect them to do it against the Bears. Moving on to the Saints, Week 2 game breakdown. The Saints defense showed some life early despite playing from behind with a goal line stand of Christian McCaffrey, which isn't easy. The Saints offense tried to get cute at times with Taysom Hill as quarterback, but it didn't amount to much, especially with the Panthers bringing pressure. Winston looked desperate near the end of the half and heaved what amounted to be an easy interception before halftime. In the second half, the Saints managed to slow the Panthers offense a bit, getting home on a sack and even sparked some momentum on a blocked field goal. But the offense didn't get the memo and ended up turning it over on downs as Sam Darnold's shovel pass directly to the Saints was an interception that was the initial catalyst for the only touchdown by the Saints, which was a rushing touchdown by Jameis Winston. Late in the fourth quarter, 
quarter, Winston threw one more punt of a pass to the Panthers, ending what was just an absolutely abysmal showing from the Saints offense. Key injuries of note, CJ Garner-Johnson, Pete Werner, Tanoa Passanon, Marshawn Lattimore, Eric McCoy, all listed as questionable. Chase Hansen and Marcus Davenport and Quan Alexander were all put on IR. Now, how can the Saints beat the Patriots in Week 3? Well, Jameis Winston absolutely needs to take care of the ball. Alvin Kamara needs to return to form and dominate because he is really the heart and soul of anything the Saints want to do offensively. And defensively, the Saints need to force the issue with Mac Jones and get him in uncomfortable situations. Sacks, hits, pressures, anything to cause rookie mistakes and not let him game manage his way to another win. Fantasy-wise, I would not start him, but I would be willing to roster him. I'll go ahead and begrudgingly highlight Dewan Johnson, who showed in week one he is a viable target in the end zone. But to be clear, Kamara is the only start-worthy player on the Saints right now for fantasy. Turning my attention to the Patriots' Week 2 game breakdown. Neither rookie quarterback looked great out of the gates between the Patriots and Jets, but Mac Jones clearly has the upper hand with Bill Belichick over on his sidelines. The Patriots' offense was feasting on Zach Wilson interceptions, but Mac Jones was making rookie mistakes as well, like a goofy intentional grounding. But it was nothing like Wilson, who ended up throwing four interceptions early. The fact that they were only up 10 with all those turnovers was a bit embarrassing, and Damian and Harris put on a beast mode style run to end that notion and build on that lead. Mac Jones wasn't overtly impressive, but he did enough to win convincingly thanks to the team and coaching staff around him. This win makes Bill Belichick's record improve to 21 and 6 going up against rookie quarterbacks throughout his tenure as head coach of the Patriots. Key injuries of note, Kyle Van Noy, Ronnie Perkins, and Trent Brown are all listed as questionable, and Quinn Norton was placed on IR. Now, how do the Patriots beat the Saints in Week 3? Well, Damian Harris needs to continue his impressive rookie campaign with another big outing against the Saints. Winning the battle of field position is going to go a long way against the Saints, who have shown the ability to capitalize on good field position but have largely failed to sustain long drive. This game is going to be won on the defensive side of the ball for the Patriots, as I believe Bill's defense can cause several turnovers here in Week 3. Fantasy-wise, James White is still getting some rush attempts and passing targets, and if he finds himself in the end zone, he'll be a fine flex in a deeper league, or a good bench stash for down the road. Betting-wise, I'll go ahead and take New England minus three. That way I get Bill Belichick's defense going up against Jameis Winston. Plus, I have the unfortunate circumstance working in my favor with the Saints pretty much living out of a suitcase since prior to week one. Moving on to the Cardinals' week two game breakdown. The Cardinals' defense looked out of answers early, letting the Vikings get up on them 7-0 before even a minute of game time had expired. Luckily, the Cardinals' offense had the answers because Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins were able to move the ball at will until hitting the end zone to tie. The game quickly looked like it was going to be a shootout as the Vikings piled on two more touchdowns through the air, making the Cardinals' defense look extremely vulnerable. The Cardinals' offense had some lucky breaks to claw back into this one with... After the defense finally made an impressive stop, 
Kyler Murray had to escape the pass rush and hit Rondale Moore on his first NFL touchdown for 77 yards and the lead by one in the first play of a two-minute drill before the half. The Vikings hit a quick field goal, leaving 21 seconds on the clock, which was all that was needed for Kyler to set up Matt Prater for a 62-yard field goal right down the middle, the longest in franchise history. Kyler started the second half by throwing a pick six, but then redeemed himself on the following drive, getting A.J. Green his first touchdown as a Cardinal, only to go back to throwing an interception in this roller coaster of a game. Scoring ended for the Cardinals after Kyler converted a gutsy fourth and five with Christian Kirk that ultimately set up another field goal that gave the Cards a lead by one, leaving their fate in the foot of the Vikings kicker who missed his field goal attempt, letting the Cardinals survive. Injuries of note moving forward, Devin Kennard, Kevin Beckham, and Marco Wilson are all listed as questionable. Now, how are the Cardinals going to beat the Jaguars in Week 3? Well, Kyler needs to limit his mistakes, specifically paying attention to where opposing defenders are during zone coverage. The Cardinals' pass rush went a bit quiet in Week 2, and need a re-emergence against a rookie quarterback. Humidity, in addition to the heat, will likely be a factor, so getting the defense off the field quickly and having good personnel rotation to keep everyone fresh and hydrated will help. Fantasy-wise, I personally have not highlighted Rondale Moore yet, and I think he is the number one waiver ad. Turning my attention to the Jaguars week two game breakdown, Trevor Lawrence looked his best in the opening scripted plays connecting with tight end O'Shaughnessy as well as receiver Marvin Jones Jr. on a few balls to get the 7-0 lead early. Trevor Lawrence got them within field goal range to build on their lead thanks to a pass interference call, but their kicker missed badly right and short. The Jaguars secondary actually looked halfway decent, but they let balls slip through their fingers, letting Bridgewater and the Broncos stay on the field and steal the lead. Lawrence managed to get the offense back within field goal range again to go into halftime even at 10, but instead the kicker Lambeau missed again, this time wide left. In the second half, the Broncos built their lead to 10 and Trevor Lawrence started to regress in the second half, throwing a couple of interceptions that allowed the Broncos lead to grow. The only other highlight for the Jaguars in this loss was Agadu on special teams had a highlight reel kickoff return for a touchdown going 102 yards for the score but it was too little too late as the Broncos were able to keep the ball moving and run out the clock. Looking at the injuries Walker Little was placed on COVID IR. James O'Shaughnessy was diagnosed with a high ankle sprain and he's going to be out. LaVisca Chenault is questionable and then there's a whole slew of guys that are also questionable like AJ Kahn, CJ Henderson, Trey Herndon, Laurenti McRae, and Jordan Smith. Now how could the Jags end up beating the Cardinals in week three? Well the Cardinals are gear up for a track race so the Jags need to come out of the blocks strong with a touchdown on their opening drive. Lawrence needs to chill and not throw so many interceptions as he already has thrown five through two games and James Robinson and Carlos Hyde need to get things moving on the ground, sustain drives, and keep Kyler on the bench as much as possible. Fantasy-wise, DJ Chark proved in week one that he can get things rolling for the offense. As far as the betting line is concerned, Arizona minus seven and a half is the side that I would take. I just think that ultimately Arizona outclasses the Jags in every position group. 
Moving on to the Washington football team week two game breakdown. Taylor Heineke took a quarter to settle into the game. Early in this game, I made a note that Washington's defense might not be able to live up to all the preseason hype it received. A fourth down conversion on a quarterback sneak moved the chains and led to a McLaurin touchdown. And Taylor Heineke also led a two-minute drill before the half that capped off with a touchdown to J.D. McKissick to snag the lead. Skipping ahead to the fourth quarter, Heineke absolutely honed into McLaurin for successful plays, and when he looked elsewhere, there wasn't much luck until late in the fourth when Heineke had back-to-back -back huge throws to J.D. McKissick chugging for 56 yards, then Ricky Seals-Jones for a back-corner touchdown that was just a perfect throw. Once Heineke got the ball back, all he needed to do was convert a few first downs and run out the clock, but instead he threw an interception with 2 minutes 16 seconds left on the clock, setting the Giants up at 20. Luckily, their defense was able to make a stand and held the Giants to a field goal. Finally, Taylor Heineke led a 2-minute drill, culminating in a walk-off field goal for the win by 1, aided of course by an offside penalty during the first kick, which missed, but then the one that counted went in for the win. Really, the only key injury of note is Ryan Fitzpatrick. He was placed on injured reserve, and something to note is that he doesn't plan to undergo surgery to address this issue. Now, how can Washington beat the Bills in Week 3? Well, Washington's defense will need to live up to the hype if they want to hang around with the Bills. They need to focus on taking away Stefan Diggs and force Josh Allen to beat them with other guys. And Taylor Heineke said that he thinks he earned the starting role beyond Ryan Fitzpatrick's return, but he will need to prove that he can do it against good teams in the league and not just against a team that will likely finish last in their division. Fantasy-wise, J.D. McKissick is an RB worth a stash on your bench as he has already proven to be a fantastic pass catching option without Curtis Samuel in the mix and he's a goal line slash two minute drill difference maker. Turning my attention to the Bills, week two game breakdown. The Bills defense set the tone early with two sacks in the Dolphins opening three and out drive. Devin Singletary ended up breaking free for a long rushing touchdown to open up the scoring. And thanks to a turnover on downs, Josh Allen to Stefan Diggs was a connection that was able to happen in the end zone for an early 14-0 lead. The Dolphins defense did everything they could to keep things close throughout the first half. But coming out of the locker room, Josh Allen was able to find his rhythm with a long drive with lots of completions including to tight end Dawson Knox for the touchdown. With the game out of reach, the Bills piled on late with two rushing touchdowns from Zach Moss, who looks like he earned the goal line carries after being doghoused in week one, running up the score 35-0. This being the sixth straight win over Miami for the Bills, scoring more than 30 points in each of them. Between pitching a shutout against the Dolphins and what they did to the Steelers in week one, the Bills defense looks to be amongst the top of the league two weeks into the the season. As for injuries moving forward, F.A. Obata is questionable, as is Tremaine Edmonds. Now, how will the Bills beat Washington in Week 3? Well, the Bills are capable of running up a score, and I'd love to see a big game from Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs with several splash plays. The Bills' D has thus far demonstrated an ability to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with defenses that were touted in the offseason to be top tier, and they have the opportunity to cement their case for the top spot if they show out while being compared to Washington. And the defense will need to keep a close eye on Washington's backfield and their ability to turn into pass catching options as well. And if they can limit the damage done by the backs, Taylor Heineke is likely to struggle. Fantasy wise, I think I've yet to highlight Stefan Diggs, so I will go ahead and cash in that chalk pick. As for the betting line, Buffalo is favored by eight and I gotta take him on this one. I don't think Washington's defense is all that it's cracked up to be. And I think the Bills D is legit with the much better offense.
Moving on to the Jets week two game breakdown. Zach Wilson did not look good going up against Bill Belichick right from the jump, throwing a pair of interceptions early that the Patriots were able to turn into a 10-0 lead. The Jets pass rush looked promising, getting home on Mac Jones often and getting good field position for their rookie quarterback. And as a thank you, Zach Wilson thought they wanted to play more. So he threw a third interception, which if I could write something more positive about Zach Wilson, I would. But less than five minutes into the second half, his own fans were booing him after throwing his fourth interception of the game. Nothing was going well for the Jets when the kicker missed badly on a 53-yard attempt after a pass interference call finally brought the Jets within scoring range. It was clear that the Jets' front seven was a highlight for the team, and the run game had its sparks as well, but there is a reason that this team earned the second overall pick in last year's draft, and that second overall pick looks overwhelmed. Key injuries moving forward. Damon Sherwood is questionable, as is Jamison Crowder, and and before last week's game, Makai Becton was placed on injured reserve. Now, how could the Jets manage to beat the Broncos in Week 3? Well, Zach Wilson will need to flip the script on his touchdown-to-interception ratio, which currently sits at an abysmal 1-2.5. to two and a half. Granted, we're working with a really small sample size. The Jets' pass rush needs to get home on Teddy Bridgewater because Denver's passing game has so far been able to compensate for its lackluster rushing attack, and the Jets will need to build on a run game of their own and give Zach Wilson Wilson a safety valve if he needs to get rid of the ball quickly. Fantasy-wise, Michael Carter was a quick drop for many, so take a look on your waiver wire if you are lacking bench depth in the running back department and watch as the rookie builds on the momentum he created during week two. Moving on to the Broncos week two game breakdown. On Denver's opening drive, they went up the field with relative ease until a disastrous sack stalled out the drive and forced them to settle for a field goal. Thanks to the Jaguars missing field goal attempts and missing opportunities to intercept Teddy Bridgewater, the Broncos were able to stay on the field and methodically get into the end zone for a lead going into a halftime. Teddy B grew on that lead to open the second half with the help of a deep ball to Cortland Sutton and great yards after the catch play by Noah Fant. The Broncos Broncos defense caused multiple interceptions, one of which was Patrick Sertain, who caught his first NFL interception and looked great on the sideline snag. This 23-13 win over the Jaguars marks a hot start for Teddy Bridgewater as the Broncos starting quarterback, and could also mark the changing of the tides in the backfield, with Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon each getting 13 carries, but Williams looked a lot better in the process, averaging 4.9 a touch to Gordon's 2.4. Key injuries moving forward. Graham Gaslow, the guard is questionable. Bradley Chubb is questionable as well. And Josie Jewell is out. Now, how did the Broncos beat the Jets in week three? Well, they got to keep the sack train rolling. Zach Wilson has been sacked 10 times in just two games and has looked bad as a result. The Broncos need to get a spark amongst their running backs as it has been a noticeable flaw in the offense and one that Teddy Bridgewater won't always be able to overcome. And the defense just needs to take a bend but don't break approach and Zach Wilson at this point is more likely to throw an interception eventually rather than throw touchdowns. Fantasy-wise, you gotta highlight Cortland Sutton here. He has emerged as the clear target in the absence of Jerry Judy. Betting-wise, Denver is favored by 10.5, the largest spread of the week, and so far the Jets have given me zero reason to believe that they would be able to cover that, so I'm gonna take Denver's side on that one. Moving on to the Dolphins week two game breakdown. The Dolphins O-line looked to be bad early, letting Tua get sacked twice in their opening three and out drive. The Dolphins had a questionable call to go for it on fourth down early in the game and didn't convert. 
giving the Bills great field position to go up by 14 right off the bat. Tua took a shot in the ribs and was needed to be carted off the field, so Jacoby Brissett filled in the rest of the way. The Dolphins' defense tried to spark the offense by forcing a fumble, but unfortunately, Jacoby gave it right back with an interception. And once Brissett got the ball back in his hands, was able to move the ball down the field well, until the red zone, that is, where Grant fumbled and the Bills recovered. The Dolphins' defense kept it as close as possible for as long as they could with an offense that was doing nothing. Coming out of the locker room from halftime, the defense could do no more without any help, and ultimately the dam broke, with the Bills rolling the Dolphins 35-0. to Key injuries moving forward, of course, there's Tua Tungavaloa, whose rib injury has him listed as questionable. But I got a notification while editing that Tua is likely to be out and his ribs look to be fractured. Will Fuller, who missed week two due to personal reasons, should be expected to start in week three. Then there's Jakeem Grant Sr., who's questionable, and Jesse Davis, who's also questionable. Now, how could Miami beat the Raiders in week three? Well, Miami's defense needs to have their efforts reflected on the scoreboard. This means they need to get off the field without allowing touchdowns. More importantly, the offense needs to help out by sustaining drives and getting points on the board. The secondary needs to be concerned with stopping Darren Waller while still not getting beat over the top. It can't be one or the other. Fantasy-wise, I called Will Fuller last week and he didn't play due to personal reasons, so I'm going to just repeat the call this week. I expect... Moving on to the Raiders week two game breakdown. Hunter Renfro is a small, speedy little white guy out there for the Raiders who just always seems to be open to me. And Brian Edwards had his first half touchdown wiped off the board thanks to a penalty. And there wasn't much of a run game to speak of for the Raiders with Josh Jacobs missing the action. But Derek Carr was in the zone through the air. Henry Ruggs got in on the action after the Steelers scored a touchdown and raised them with a 61-yard catch of his own. And after exchanging field goals, the game ended with the Raiders up by nine. Derek Carr is on a tear throwing for 350 yards or more and two touchdowns or more in his last three starts sitting back to 2020. Key injuries looking ahead. Roderick Teamer, Nick Kwiatkowski, Richie Incognito, Josh Jacobs, Alex Leatherwood, and most notably Derek Carr are all questionable. Carr undergoing an MRI on his ankle on Monday and is still listed as uncertain for week three. Now how can the Raiders beat the Dolphins in week three? Well neither Jacoby nor Tua pose a huge threat passing, but both spell opportunity for the Raiders' defense to cause turnover. Raiders need to establish the run with or without Josh Jacobs. They brought over Kenyon Drake in the offseason for a reason. And Derek Carr should have time to stand and deliver in the pocket if he's able to go. So the deep ball should be there, and they need to connect. Fantasy-wise, I will go ahead and shout out Henry Ruggs, who is speedy and probably the most likely to end up with those deep ball targets. Betting-wise, I'm going to go ahead and side with Las Vegas, minus 3.5. Miami's defense played well despite the score last week, and the Raiders are kind of due for a letdown and tend to play down to their opponents, but the Raiders have just been on a tear, and Miami just got blown out by 35. So this is a pick to show that I have confidence that this isn't just the same old Raiders. <laughs> Moving on to the Seahawks, week two game breakdown. The Russell Wilson-Tyler Lockett connection 
from game one was still strong with an early 51-yard deep ball. Bobby Wagner had a huge red zone sack on Ryan Tannehill, and the defense forced the Titans to settle for field goals multiple times throughout the game. Oh yeah, and did I mention that the Russell Wilson-Tyler Lockett deep ball connection was still strong? Lockett had just two catches by halftime and already had 114 yards and a touchdown. The Seahawks hit Ryan Tannehill so hard that he fumbled, and just two Chris Carson rushes later, and the Seahawks scored 14 points in a matter of minutes and didn't take their foot off the gas with their defense continuing to make stops and Chris Carson continuing to get easy goal line carries. Russell Wilson had another touchdown pass of 60 plus yards to crank up the lead to 14, but from that point on they could do nothing to stop the run as King Henry was able to immediately rebuttal with a 60 yard touchdown of his own. Late in the fourth, driving to ice the game, DK Metcalf came out limping and instead the Seahawks were forced to give the ball back to the Titans who managed to mount a comeback, took the game to overtime, and ultimately took the win over the Seahawks. Injuries of note moving forward, Brian Monet, Rashad Penny, D. Eskridge, and Brandon Shell were all listed as questionable. Now, how can the Seahawks beat the Vikings in Week 3? The Vikings' defense is completely susceptible to getting beaten on deep balls, and Russ will certainly capitalize. The defensive front in Seattle will need to limit the number of times Dalvin Cook successfully busts up the middle for big chunk yard, and Seattle's secondary will have their hands full, but need to primarily shut down Adam Thielen, who at this point continues to be the Vikings' most lethal end zone target. Fantasy-wise, I'm expecting Tyler Lockett to continue his amazing fantasy streak and catch another big deep ball for a touchdown. Moving on to the Vikings Week 2 game breakdown, Kirk Cousins let it rip and the Cardinals defense had no answers early with a 64-yard touchdown to K.J. Osborne for an early 7-0 lead within a minute of kickoff. The game immediately looked like a shootout in the making as Adam Thielen continued his insane touchdown rate and then Justin Jefferson piled on with one of his own. The Vikings' defense was vulnerable, but they actually kicked off the scoring in the second half with a pick six. The Cardinals bounced back with another touchdown, and the Vikings' offense couldn't match. So the defense stepped up again with another interception that ultimately set up the Vikings for a field goal and the lead by two. On the following drive, the Vikings' defense couldn't get off the field when the Cardinals converted on fourth down and gave up a field goal and the lead. Vikings had the final say after both teams exchanged three and outs. Kirk drove the ball down the field beautifully, leaving the fate of the game to the kicker, Joseph, who botched the 37-yard attempt as time expired. Injuries of note moving forward, Bissy Johnson was placed on IR, Everson Griffin, Harrison Hand, Christian Darishaw, and Anthony Barr were all listed as questionable. And how can the Vikings beat the Seahawks in Week 3? Well, the secondary needs to step it up and stop letting teams beat them over the top. Dalvin Cook needs to get rolling early and often, and Kirk Cousins needs to connect with whoever isn't prioritized by Seattle's defense between Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and feature them heavily. Fantasy-wise, I'm giving you yet another player that might be sitting out there on waivers. KJ Osborne was actually the team's leading receiver last week, and to say that in a receiving room of Jefferson and Thielen is impressive. Betting-wise, Seattle minus two is the side that I'm going to go ahead and take. I have more faith in Seattle than what they demonstrated last week, and both teams are looking for bounce-back games, but I have to give the edge to Seattle. 
Moving on to the Buccaneers week two game breakdown. The Tom Brady Rob Gronkowski connection is alive and well as he gets targeted heavily and often, catching two touchdowns in the first half. This marks the third straight game with two touchdowns for Rob Gronkowski dating back to the Super Bowl. TB12 looks as good as ever, orchestrating a long drive before half, incorporating just about everyone along the way before Mike Evans found the end zone and the Bucks found themselves up 21-10 at the half, but could have been more because a defensive scoop-and-score touchdown was called off because of an offsides penalty. Matt Ryan opened up the second half with an interception, setting up Evans for his second touchdown, and the Falcons' offense was finally found a rhythm and brought the game back within three. However, Tom is used to ripping the hearts out of Falcons fans, and he threw a fifth touchdown on the day, this time to Chris Godwin. Finally, Tampa Bay's defense iced the game with two pick sixes in the fourth quarter. Key injuries moving forward. Jaden Mickens is listed as questionable with a hip injury, and Kevin Minter is going to be out. He's placed on the COVID-19 list. Now, how can the Bucks beat the Rams in Week 3? Well, the Rams have yet to be defeated, and in order to do so, it looks like the Bucks will need to sever ties between the Stafford Cup connection. Brady and the Bucks will need to muster up 30 points of their own against an impressive Rams defense. And lastly, the offensive line is going to need to hold their own against Aaron Donald and company. Fantasy-wise, I have yet to highlight Chris Godwin here, and he is on a heater consistency-wise with five straight games with a touchdown, and I expect him to make it six. Moving on to the Rams week two game breakdown. The Rams defense proved that they were bend but not break early on, letting the Colts drive all the way down to the one yard line. Then they managed to stop the Colts on four straight attempts and sacked Wentz during the fourth down attempt. The Rams offense fed off that energy and rekindled the Matt Stafford Cooper Cup connection on an early touchdown. Stafford threw an arid interception on his next outing, which was his first as a Ram. Daryl Henderson got an easy touchdown in this game before leaving it due to injury. After the Rams long snapper hit a teammate that was not the punter, the Colts recovered a touchdown in the end zone, but in response, Stafford and Cup put the team on their backs and quickly reclaimed the lead in a matter of minutes. They have a streak of 37-0 while leading at halftime, and they have a record of 10-1 dating back to last year if they score a touchdown within their first two drives. The only real injury of note is Daryl Henderson, who is listed as questionable with a rib cartilage injury, but the Rams are hopeful that he's back for Week 3. Now, how can the Rams beat the Bucks in Week 3? Well, Aaron Donald and company are going to need to get Brady in the grass early. The secondary, besides Jalen Ramsey, is going to need to step up to the plate and handle all of those receiving weapons. Lastly, they're going to have to establish the run and sustain drives to eat the clock. Because Tampa has now set a record with winning nine straight games dating back to last year in combination with scoring 30-plus points in all of them. This tells you that pretty much the only way to break that streak will be to keep Tom on the sidelines. Fantasy-wise, I will go ahead and highlight Robert Woods. Watch him shine against an unlikely opponent right when everyone starts to count him out. Tampa Bay is favored by one point, and I gotta take him there with question marks surrounding the Rams' run game, and I feel like they're just gonna get sucked into a shootout, and I would expect Tom Brady to come out on top in that scenario. Moving on to the Packers' Week 2 game breakdown. The Green Bay Packers' defense came out flat and disorganized in Monday Night Football, which highlighted how they got blown out in Week 1. 
The Packers had a clear plan to establish the run and capped it off with a rebuttal touchdown drive with a tap pass to Aaron Jones. Rodgers going a perfect 3-for-3 in the opening drive. Early in the game, it was clear that Aaron Jones was going to be the focal point of the offense in Green Bay, and it chose with getting a second receiving touchdown while also accumulating 76 all-purpose yards and 12 touches in the first half alone. Rodgers started to take advantage of an injury-riddled line secondary between Devontae Adams and Robert Tunyon to move the ball down the field and into the end zone for the lead coming out of halftime. Aaron Jones ended up opening the floodgates and improving on that lead with his third receiving touchdown and then an additional rushing touchdown, apparently showing off the Alvin Kamara Christmas game impression that he has been working on. The injuries moving forward, Vernon Scott is listed as questionable as is Josiah Degora and Zadarius Smith prior to last week's game was placed on IR. Now, how can the Packers beat the 49ers? Looking ahead in week three, this game looks poised to be a shootout, so a key in this one for Aaron Rodgers will be to get up early on the 49ers. The Packers' defense will really need to step up their game this week because they are clearly the worst of the two defenses and will have to hold their own. Devontae Adams has yet to find his way into the end zone, and he needs to correct that to help Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones get a win over a much more formidable opponent in the 49ers. Fantasy-wise, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is an interesting player to highlight that is almost certainly sitting on the waiver wire. He is a deep threat and an end-zone target, and four balls were thrown his way last week to no avail. I'd imagine he makes good on one of those this week. Moving on to the 49ers week two game breakdown. Early on, the offensive timing was off against the Eagles with no first downs in the first quarter. Garoppolo's first great pass of the game came during the two-minute drill to end the half, hitting Debo Samuel in between tight coverage who marched for loads of yaks, setting up Jawan Jennings to catch his first NFL touchdown on the next play, giving San Francisco the lead. Nick Bosa and the San Francisco pass rushers came out of the locker room hot and caused a fumble two plays into the second half. The running game really started to pick up with Hasty and Michelle with a 17-play, nine-minute drive, ending with a QB sneak for Jimmy G touchdown, but Michelle injured his shoulder on the drive. Once San Francisco got the ball back, Trey Sermon, on his first carry in the NFL, got injured and fumbled, but the Eagles' penalties kept the ball in San Francisco. Francisco's hands and Hasty tweaked his ankle on the same drive. Jimmy Garoppolo was on fire with QB sneaks and converted another on third down, bringing the game to the two minute warning with the lead and the Eagles out of timeouts to ice the game. The injuries looking forward, Emmanuel Mosley is questionable, as is Josh Norman and Elijah Mitchell. Kevin Givens is out. Jamichael Hasty is out. And Trey Sermon is questionable. Now, how can the 49ers beat? the Packers in week three. Well, Jimmy G is going to need to sling the rock this week to guys like Kittle and Ayuk who have been largely underutilized to open the season. The 49ers run game can't let injuries slow them down and maybe more important than that, it cannot get more injured. Rodgers wants no business with being in a hole early against the formidable defense, so that's exactly where the 49ers need to put him. Fantasy-wise, Elijah Mitchell has to be the call here. The betting line for Sunday Night Football is Green Bay plus 3.5, which is the side that I'm going to take. I get the better quarterback and running game thanks to all the San Francisco injuries. 
Moving on to the Eagles Week 2 game breakdown. This game was a defensive slugfest between the 49ers and the Eagles, and the Eagles' defense does actually look legitimate. Hertz looked really good, tossing a deep ball to Jalen Rager, but that was called back because Rager stepped out of bounds during his route. Hertz hit another deep ball with pressure in his face from his own end zone for a 91-yard reception to Quez Watkins, setting up first and goal, but that drive, however, ended as a turnover on downs after the Eagles decided to go for it on fourth and failed. After defensive end Brandon Graham tore his Achilles, the Eagles' pass rush suffered for the remainder of the game. Playing from behind, Jalen Hurts did it with his legs to get the Eagles within six points, only taking 65 seconds for a 75-yard touchdown drive, but the Eagles' defense could not get off the field, and Jalen Hurts never got to touch the ball again. Looking at the injuries, Brandon Graham is out with that Achilles injury that I talked about earlier. Zach Ertz is on the COVID list right now for testing positive, but he's vaccinated and could make it back by Monday. Brandon Brooks is doubtful. Rodney McLeod is questionable, and so is Davion Taylor. Now, how could the Eagles beat the Cowboys on Monday Night Football? Well, the Eagles were very effective at stopping the run through the first two weeks, and Dallas seemed to find their run game last week, so the Eagles are going to need to win that battle. And putting up a few points might have almost cut it against the 49ers, but the Cowboys will look to make this a high-scoring affair, and the Eagles will need to be prepared to go step-for-step offensively. I'll put that largely on Jalen Hurts to shoulder the load and see if he deserves to jump into the echelon of quarterbacks where Dak currently resides. Fantasy-wise, Quez Watkins is clearly the deep ball option on this team, connecting for two for 117 yards against the 49ers, and if one of those lands in the end zone next week, that makes for a happy fantasy moment. Something to consider as a deeper flex. Moving on to the Cowboys' Week 2 game breakdown, the running game for Dallas re-emerged, but in a new way as the workload has been pretty evenly divided by Zeke and Pollard, and it was actually Pollard who saw the touchdown early to kick things off. Trayvon Diggs snagged an interception off of Herbert for Diggs' second straight week with a pick to kick off the season. After Dak threw a pick of his own, Zeke didn't want to look too bad despite his backup outrushing him, and he found his way into the end zone as well. Dak, with the help of Zeke and Amari Cooper, were able to mount a game-winning drive culminating in a field goal, finally beating a team without needing to score 30 points, as this one ended 20-17. to Looking at the injuries, note that Demarcus Lawrence, prior to last week's game, was placed on IR. Carlos Watkins, Doris Armstrong, Randy Gregory, Ty Nischke, Donovan Wilson and Amari Cooper all listed as questionable. Now, how can the Cowboys beat the Eagles on this Monday night football game? Well, having a run game to go along with a ton of passing yards was a sight for sore eyes, but it would be even better if Zeke scored on the ground and Dak was scoring through the air during the same game. Dallas's defense is still suspect in comparison to the Eagles, but I'm not sure if that margin is large and if Cowboys D holds their end of the bargain, the odds tip in Dallas's favor. I expect the receiving stalwarts of Cooper and Lamb to both put up big numbers, but fantasy-wise, if Tony Pollard can pull off anything similar to what he did in Week 2 during Week 3, then it's time to consider him like a Kareem Hunt type of flexible backup moving forward. The betting line is Philadelphia plus 4, and that's just too many points to be giving the Eagles team whose defense seems to be much improved over last year against a division rival who consistently misses the mark on achieving when the expectations are high. 
All right, that's the show. Thank you so much for listening. We just covered all 32 teams in the NFL. This has been the Two Minute Drill podcast. If you want an expanded version of this podcast, or I would say more of a conversational version of this podcast, tune in to the Limitless episode dropping in a day or two, where I bring in Jake McClanahan, Matthew Shetler, and Tyler Cordell, and they'll give me their perspectives on this upcoming slate of games, the betting odds, the fantasy options, and just fun conversation. If you liked this episode, please be sure to share it with a friend. I would greatly appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and leave a review on the podcast platform that you are listening to this on. Again, this is the Two Minute Drill Podcast. My name is Michael Homan. Thank you so much if you do any of those things. And I will see you on the Limitless Edition. Peace.